Hi, this is Roy Worley. Welcome to the interview show that brings on guests from all walks of life. Yeah, it's here that they tell their stories and delve a little deeper into their lives to see what got them where they are. So grab a drink, have a seat, and relax, because this is The Leo Effect. When was the last time a short movie shook your emotions to the core? When was the last time a short movie caused you to rethink everything you stood for? When was the last time a short movie made you proud to be an American? When was the last time you felt the emotion to stand up and cheer after a short movie? The new short movie, I've Got Your Six, written and directed by Bill Foster, one of the industry's newest and fastest climbing directors, will answer all of those questions. Rarely has there been so much packed into a short movie that when you leave, you'll feel more proud of our American military veterans. A movie that was cast only with American military veterans will have you on the edge of your seat cheering for our veterans and what makes America great. I've Got Your Six will be hitting the film festival scene soon. Be prepared to drop what you're doing and go see this powerful movie when it comes to your area. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of The Leo Effects. Now, today I'm joined by an awesomely super guest. I'm very, very excited to speak to her. I've checked out some of her work on the internet, and it's just unbelievable. It's fantastic. So please allow me to introduce my guest for this evening, Sue Wong. How are you? I'm really, really well, Ray, and thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you're here. We got we got quite a few things to talk about, and you know, a lot of people, like a lot of listeners, might not know exactly who you are or what you do. So why don't we start there? We've established your Sue Wong, but what is it that you do? Okay, well, I'm an all-around creative intuitive, but I would say, uh, you know, for, um, you know, the uh, last few decades, I'm really very uh, most well-known as a um, glamorous fashion designer of uh, old Hollywood um, sort of glamorous style from the 1920s and 1930s. And, uh, you know, so uh, my gowns have really beautiful romantic sensibilities. And I think I was the first American designer credited with bringing um, haute couture looks uh, to women in America and actually all over the world because I did sell to 27 different countries at, uh, as well. But I've uh, brought them in at uh, Pret-a-Porter prices. So my gowns look like they, you know, should have been like, you know, anywhere from three to $10,000, $12,000 a piece. But in fact, they were just a mere few hundred dollars a piece, maybe 500 to, you know, under a thousand actually, you know. And um, so I was able to really sell to the best um, retailers across the country, including Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's and uh, Nordstrom's and um, Saks Fifth Avenue. I mean, I sold to everybody. Yeah. So that, that's that's what I've been, you know, most famous as. But you know, I'm an all-around uh, creative intuitive, and I call myself a creative intuitive because I'm very well versed not only in fashion design but all different um, other kinds of modality and other genres. I like to, you know, cross over to. Um, 
so many different things, you know. Um, I think if I hadn't been a fashion designer in life, maybe as a profession, I would have probably chosen uh, interior design. But originally, I really wanted, uh, you know, I had aspirations to be an artist or a painter. But coming from a very traditional background, my parents um, wouldn't support my education in, in art. Right? So I kind of went into uh, fashion as, as a sideline. And I did very well for myself. I became very, very successful. And, uh, you know, um, I, I loved what I do. It was a great career. Um, but I basically sort of semi-retired from fashion about uh, three years ago. And uh, I just really needed to, to take time off because I've been, you know, running ragged and, you know, running my own business for decades and, you know, a, a very, very crazy, you know, frenetic pace. That's what fashion is, because um, I don't know whether, you know, your listeners know this, but in the American fashion market, there are five seasons a year. The Europeans only have two seasons a year or maybe three uh, now, but we have five seasons a year. So basically every two to two and a half months, we had to really reinvent ourselves all over again and put out a you know, different collection. So um, I think, of, you know, in all of my years, of my decades in fashion, I think I only set out two seasons in my entire life. So that was a lot of work. And uh, so I just decided to take, a, you know, several years off, which I have. And now I'm going to really um, be coming back with a lot of really exciting things in, that I can tell you about later on. Absolutely. Great. What was it that inspired you to become a fashion designer in the first place? Right? You said it was a sideline thing. Well, you know, I think I've, you know, as a girl, I was always sort of like a girly girl. I've always loved really pretty clothes. And maybe one of the impetus was, you know, um, when I uh, first immigrated uh, to this country, uh, I guess I should really tell your, uh, you know, the listeners a little bit about my personal history, too. Um, I grew up uh, in uh, Maoist China, you know, in a time of tumult and revolution. And, uh, you know, there was famine and scarcity all over the place. And, uh, you know, um, I don't even know how I survived, but miraculously I survived. I think probably because my, you know, dear uh, grandmother used to really chase rats around the house just so that I would have some dinner. And uh, that's basically how I survived, you know, or my mother would trap field mice in the fields and bring them back home for dinner. But anyway, um, you know, so I grew up under a lot of, uh, you know, hardship and scarcity. And when I came to America, I expected all the streets to be paved with gold. <laughs> Just because the, the Chinese name for, um, America was Gold Mountain, probably left over from the uh, gold mining days. And by the way, my family lineage has a long history with this country because my great great grandfather uh, came over, you know, in the 1800s to help build the railroads near Sacramento. So, you know, the Chinese really had a great part in the building of this, uh, you know, uh, country by connecting the East Coast to the West Coast with, um, you know, the, the uh, railroads, which were basically built by the Irish and, and the Chinese. And if you were to probably excavate, you know, along 
those railroad lines, you would probably find the bones of many Chinese men who basically worked really hard to really help build this country. So, you know, um, I'm from the Taishan region um, in Guangdong, China, which is really the uh, southernmost uh, province in China. And the uh, capital of Guangdong was, uh, the old name was uh, Canton, and now it's called Guangzhou. So, you know, um, Taishan, the Taishan region uh, was the first to send, you know, their, uh, her sons and daughters um, out towards the world. So um, my people were the first, you know, Chinese settlers here, here in America. So, you know, all the old Chinese that, uh, you know, um, were from the old days all came from my region. That is an amazing heritage. Yes, thank you. Oh, I feel wow. very, I feel very proud of it because you know America is really made um, and was created, you know, on, on the sweat and bloods of dedicated immigrants, you know, and they were incredibly courageous. I mean, just really think about the immigrants from all over the world that really came to this country seeking a better future. But they really, you know, like, um, you know, made it, you know, all the way from the East Coast, you know, via wagon trains, and they settled here in the West. I mean, it's an incredible story, you know, the, the building and the settling of America. But certainly the Chinese really had their, their part in history here as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sounds like you've gone from poverty to prosperity, and it's such an inspiring story. Well, actually, to tell you the truth, um, I think I really have uh, gone from rags to riches, back to rags, and now back to riches again. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a sort of a, you know I I'm the classic um, I would say the you know the classic American success story, and uh, you know because I believed in the American dream, um, I came from less than nothing as I just revealed to you. But I, uh, you know, made the most of my life because I believe in living one's quantum potential, because I really feel that life is such a precious and such a beautiful gift. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, um, don't realize this and they're not in gratitude of the opportunities, you know, that life has. So they really, you know, kind of are, become asleep on the job, so to speak. So they don't real, realize their full potential. They don't really manifest their dreams and, you know, into reality. But I think I have for the most part because, you know, I had tenacity and I, you know, stuck with my vision and I stuck with my dream. And that's what you really have to do in life. Yeah, absolutely. You're no stranger to obstacles and it sounds like you've really faced many challenges. Like, what would you say was probably one of the harder obstacles in being a fashion designer? Um, well, I mean, actually, you know, my career is, is uh, you know, um, was always, you know, my bright side. Um I think, you know, when I started out being a fashion designer, I didn't just tell myself I wanted to be the wealthiest fashion designer or the most successful. I said to myself, I want to be the best fashion designer. I want to really put my foot forward and do the best that I can because, 
you know, I think that's really who I am because I've always been committed to excellence, you know, because the world is mediocre enough and it doesn't need any more mediocrity. It needs people who are really committed, you know, to excellence. So I think that's what really kind of separated me from, you know, perhaps others. And then also, I always like to be really at the front line or the, you know, avant-garde, you know, of, uh, you know, to just be the first to do something. So, um, and what I uh, do, uh, whatever it is that I do, rather, I always put my stamp of, um, you know, my mantra is beauty, magic, and transformation. So I have a very unique, uh, you know, touch to my work, and it's instantaneously recognizable in fashion, you know, uh, if uh, I had a display at Neiman Marcus, you know, basically from across the room, you know, um, 150 feet away, you could really spot my stuff on the mannequin and they would say, oh, that's a Sue Wong, you know. So it's always informed by glamour, beauty, magic, you know, all of that. And um, in my work, I try to really, you know, um, celebrate women and the goddess energy that resides in them. And so I call it uh, basically the feminine divine, um, which is really, you know, um, I created these visions of beauty, which honored women and it made them really feel good. Um, you know, it, it, it was uh, designed to, to really, uh, my clothes were designed to really, you know, make a woman feel like a goddess. So, you know, I, I always, um, you know, um, aspire to to do that in my work yeah and you can definitely see that like by looking at your work absolutely see the inspiration and the beauty behind it and when you see the models wearing your stuff they just they look so empowered uh yes i mean you know my clothes really do enchant and they also empower and they you know make a woman feel beautiful because of this empowerment so, you know, I didn't really, I sort of digress from, from your original <laughs> question. So I'll go back to that. Um, I think in my personal life, I really have suffered a lot of adversities and losses. Uh, so, you know, let me just really uh, uh, tell you uh, the trajectory of, of um, you know, my, my life a little bit. So I basically, you know, um, went to, uh, you know, a design school. Um, it was actually just a trade school. And I won first place in this design scholarship within a month. I had a job. And uh, so, you know, uh, so I trained under the head designer. And then, you know, later on, I just really wanted my own freedom. And I, uh, you know, opened my own one of a kind, um, you know, shop in Venice Beach when it was very bohemian. And I was a rebel anyway. So, um, I, I had, uh, you know, uh, one of a kind creations and they were hung from the ceiling, uh, you know, to really sort of create this three dimensional effect of, um, you know, basically an art installation. And so right from the beginning, I had, you know, um, uh, movie stars like, uh, you know, uh, Susan Strasberg and Goldie Hawn and uh, one day Bianca Jagger, you know, who was just really newly wed to uh, Mick you know, walked in and she basically cleaned me out <laughs> of practically everything. So that was really a great thing. So then I, you know, eventually I went back after two stints, I, I went back to the uh, company that um, I started out with, 
but then by um, this time, I was really the, uh, you know, designer, you know, of uh, this division they had called uh, Young Edwardian by Arpeggia, which was really the premier label back in those days. You know, it was probably, you know, um, they're out of business now, but they were a giant. Um, they were sort of like the BCBG of their time. And um, basically they were doing, I think, about a uh, $3 million business when I came. And uh, by the time, uh, you know, within three years, I had taken them to, uh, you know, $52 million. And this was, a, you know, like uh, decades ago. So that's probably that $52 million would really translate to over half a billion dollars today. So anyway, I was very, very successful at a very young age. I think by the time I was um, 25, I really had accomplished the American dream. You know, I had four homes, you know, two in Malibu side by side, mansions, and then I had um, an oceanfront uh, property in Hawaii. Then I had my original house in the Hollywood Hills that I bought when I was 22 years old. So, you know, life was really great. I was making millions of dollars. Uh, jet setting on the Concorde, you know, between um, New York and London and Paris and all of that. And so I was really living this glam life, except, uh, you know, I sort of married the wrong man. Um, and, uh, you know, even though I was really in love with him, he, you know, had a mental illness. So I basically had to leave. And that was a devastating divorce. Um, and in the middle of the divorce, I decided to start my own first business, you know. And by then, I had uh, probably about 10 years in, in fashion. And I didn't know what I was doing financially or the structuring of the business. And unfortunately, con artists got a hold of me. And with one year, all of my money disappeared. You know, um, and I was bankrupt with two little babies, really. They were only about, you know, maybe a year and a half and two and a half. And I had to start all over again in life. And um, so that was really difficult. And during this whole period, I lost my first brother because my parents had two brothers um, uh, when they were reunited here in America. And uh, so... I went back to work, you know, to my credit, and within about a year and a half, I was able to buy myself a brand new um, four-bedroom, four-bath house, you know, for my kids, put them into private school, and, uh, you know, that's the power of, you know, being good at what you do, because then you become um, in demand, and so I was able to find myself a good job, and, uh, you know, so um, about probably maybe three and a half, four years passed. And, uh, you know, then I met um, my partner for about 24 years. And then I decided to risk everything and, you know, um, go at it again and put everything I had on the line. And I started my second business. And so, you know, um, that was really in, I think, the mid 80s, maybe 1986 or so. And that's the business that I had for, you know, about 32 years. And, uh, you know, before I uh, decided I really had enough. So <laughs> anyway, so, so you know, it, it was not easy, you know, but um, I made it again, you know, after a long climb. 
Um, basically, I was in the wrong category, but you know, uh, there was, um, I think in 1999, um, I had uh, produced some garments. I, I didn't uh, produce the garments, I produced the samples. And uh, you know, so uh, the guy that I produced them with was, uh, you know, very um, dishonest. And so, you know, I, I said to my partner, I have to really take these garments and, you know, get a manufacturer, you know. So my um, ex-partner uh, lined up three, um, uh, you know, uh, factories for me to see in Hong Kong. And lo and behold, you know, of all the factories in China, and I'm talking about thousands upon thousands of factories, fashion factories in China, the very first factory I walked into, I saw all of my samples, you know, um, in their showroom. And, uh, you know, so what are the chances of that, you know? Now, isn't there magic in the universe? I found, you know, the, the, the factory, I walked right into the factory who had made those samples uh, for me through this uh, Korean agent. So I hit the jackpot and uh, I had a stack of orders for him. And then I said to myself, well, you know, it's July of 1999, and in five months, every woman on this planet is going to really uh, want to really bring in the millennium with a cocktail dress or a beautiful long evening gown. So on the spot, you know, I met three factories, including the first one, and I designed about 25 garments on the spot, put them into work with a stipulation that they had to give me, uh, you know, the, my first samples and the counter samples within one month. So I marketed, you know, the, the samples after they came in, and of course they just looked drop dead gorgeous. I marketed, you know, them in time to really ship two months before the millennium. And guess what? They just really flew off the floors like hotcakes. And instantaneously, I had a new business. A new business was born. So the last, uh, you know, 20 years of my career basically was, uh, you know, devoted to, um, you know, evening wear, which I had never designed before. But I uh, basically taught myself how to design evening wear in one season. And I became a runaway success. And, um, you know, they would really line up in my booth at the Coterie or all these trade shows about, you know, four or five, you know, uh, people deep just to get into my booth. So I became this overnight sensation. And I basically uh, commandeer that market. And I was really the number one resource in evening wear, you know, for over a decade and, you know, made a fortune. You know, that's why I could really, you know, uh, afford to re really retire after a five decade career. And uh, so that's where, you know, it is for me right now. You are so resilient and it's such an inspiration. And now you. that you're retired, like, what are you doing now? Well, I mean, I'm not exactly retired you know, at, at all. Um, there's just so much to do. Um, you know, uh, I'm still called, you know, uh, to do fashion shows. You know, I'm still really given. I mean, even though it's really funny, but I've, I've been uh, retired for, what, three years. And just in um, October, I think it was, um, or was it September, for uh, L.A. Fashion Week, 
even though I was retired, they gave me the designer of the year award. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so, go, so go figure. But um, yeah, I, I um, you know, also recently had my Oscar party. So I uh, produced a huge uh, fashion show for that. And then also, you know, um, art, arts, hearts, fashion, which I used to uh, show with um, every, you know, uh, major season, uh, two times a, a year. They really gave me a lifetime achievement award, and uh, you know, they, um, you know, so they honored me with this huge uh, retrospective show. So I've, I've I've been very active still, but um, let me tell you what my plans are. I'm trying to really reach my Facebook page so I can, you know, sort of <laughs> get a little excerpt uh, from, 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 from it for you. But, um, yeah, just because um, I'm sort of semi-retired from fashion, and I wouldn't say it's a 100%, you know, uh, retirement, because, you know, I'm still, you know, like pursuing licensing possibilities, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm really going into home um, and hotels, actually, uh, uh, Freya Pruitt, who is sitting next to me, um, you know, uh, she uh, is going to help me establish the Sue Wong Legacy Foundation. And basically, you know, what that is, because now I'm getting older and I really want to think about, you know, what kind of imprint I want to leave behind, um, you know, as a contribution, because I, I met this, uh, you know, uh, master, you know, he was a Taoist master once. He sort of like just appeared at my doorsteps very mystically in uh, Kipahulu, uh, my home in Hawaii. And um, so, you know, he said that there are four great purposes in life. So, you know, the first one is uh, basically paying the karmic debt, you know, because you have two columns, you know, you have a column of credit and you have a column of debit. So whatever good you do in the world, it goes towards your credit column. Whatever bad stuff you do in the world, it goes to, to, to your debit column. So, you know, we're here to really, you know, right all wrongs, you know, um, sort of like uh, balance out the, the, the sheet, so to speak. So paying the karmic debt. And then the next one is, um, you know, uh, contribution. You know, um, how are you going to really uh, leave this earth a better place, you know, when you're not here. So now that I'm really getting older, I'm thinking about that, you know. So uh, the, the, the other one, I think, was learning, you know, because you can never learn, you know, uh, enough about your, yourself, you know. Um, and uh, so anyway, getting back to contribution, I basically, you know, I'm wondering, you know, was wondering how I can really leave the world a better place. And, you know, basically what I have uh, decided to do is I own this very, very beautiful historical home. I don't know whether you read uh, about it or, or, or not. Yeah, the Cedars. The Cedars, yes. The Cedars, you know, I live in a museum. I don't live in an ordinary house. It's just really this incredible, you know, place that's just really astonishing, you know. Um, and it was built, you know, by a visionary artist, uh, you know, by, by the name of um, Maurice uh, Tunier. And he came to um, America, I think, to Hollywood in the teens from Paris. 
And so he worked, uh, you know, with the, the MGM boys, you know, Louis B. Mayer and um, Samuel Goldwyn as a, a screenwriter uh, and also as a director. As a matter of fact, the silent version of The Last of the Mohicans was his movie. Um, along with, I think, uh, the Ice House, who was uh, based on uh, Henrik Ibsen's, uh, you know, play. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, he was a trained academic artist, and so he basically created this incredible palazzo, and there is really no, uh, you know, house uh, like this anywhere because it's really a visionary work of art. And so we, you know, uh, over the years, so many illustrious people have lived here. And I was told it's because, you know, the hill that this house sits on is a magical vortex. And so, you know, it's also um, a, a PowerPoint. Um, and that's why so many visionary artists have always been attracted to this house. So, um, the Cedars basically served host um, for a constellation of uh, legendary stars and musical royalty, um, including Norma Talmadge, you know, who was really the first lady of cinema uh, during the silent era. And uh, sh she lived here with her husband, Joe Shank, uh, who happened to have been the, you know, founder of uh, um, 20th Century uh, Fox Studios. And they would entertain their best friends who lived nearby, uh, Charlie Chaplin, uh, Sir D Douglas Fairbanks, and Mary Pickford. Well, they lived in Beverly Hills, you know, so they, they had their mansion called Pickford. Right. But, uh, but they would entertain them here at the Cedars, and later on, they would really go on to, uh, you know, uh, form their own studios, which was called United Artist Studios. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of UA, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So after Norma Talmadge, then the horror star uh, Bella Lugosi lived here, you know, during his Count Dracula days in, in the uh, 30s. Mm -hmm. um, actually, before him, uh, Howard Hughes lived here. And then after Howard Hughes was Errol Flynn. And then er after Errol Flynn, you know, uh, was um, Bella Lugosi. And because Bella Lugosi lived here, Decades later, Johnny Depp lived here because, you know, he was trying to vibe in on Bela Lugosi for his uh, role uh, as Ed Wood in Tim Burton's movie, Ed Wood. And uh, Marilyn Monroe used to uh, party here a lot. Um, then in the 60s, it became this iconic rock palace. So you had the likes of Jimi Hendrix and Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. And if you remember, the Velvet Under, Underground was Andy Warhol's, you know, like um, a band. So Andy Warhol would, would stay here whenever he was on the West Coast. And then uh, you had Bob Dylan staying here. You had Jim Morrison here. You had the Rolling Stones and Brian Jones living here. You had John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas living here. And uh, did I mention Jim Morrison, too, of The Doors, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think in 1968, there was a classic made called Easy Rider, you know, with, the, you know, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. So they filmed all the New Orleans scenes, you know, uh, they filmed here, right, you know, 
uh, in my foyer, in my library, and in the Grand Salon, which is really this huge ballroom. So, you know, um, it's a very, very famous house. So basically, what I'm going to be doing um, is, um, you know, uh, a, a very interesting thing. So I'm going to really start my own, um, you know, uh, philanthropic uh, legacy foundation. And it's going to include the cedars. I will bequeath it, you know, to the foundation um, probably before, uh, you know, um, my demise. <laughs> and then it will become a, a living museum of Hollywood history. And in addition to that, I have archived, you know, the last 20 years of my uh, work, um, all my favorite pieces, uh, which includes about 11,000, you know, pieces of my favorite designs. So I also want to start the Su Wong Fashion Museum. Oh, and. Uh, cool. <laughs> um, and it will uh, also feature uh, residency programs for future, you know, budding fashion designers from all over the world. And it will also include my vast library of original sketches, um, as well as my motifs, you know, of the last 20 years. And, um, you know, so I think this is going to be a really great thing. And... Um, so uh, those are the uh, two things, but there is a lot more coming. So um, let's see. So uh, I will also be writing four books, wow. including my own autobiography. And I'm going to create a table coffee book on the cedars. And the last chapter, I think, to really bring it home to full circle I would really do a chapter on uh, photographing current rock stars, you know, with my beautiful models, with their, you know, in full regalia, with their spectacular headdresses and everything within, you know, like uh, different environments of the Cedars, which I think would really connect the rock legacy of this house, you know, to basically the fashion element, which I, you know, have brought uh, to it and the glamour. And um, then I'm going to do a um, coffee table book of all of my iconic looks of the last 20 years. And then the last book is really going to be a book on my wisdom writings. I don't know whether you've seen my Facebook, but, you know, uh, people uh, love what I sh uh, share, which is really wisdom mixed with visuality. So there's going to be a book of that. And then I'm going to be working on my uh, biopic, which is um, called Red Lotus. And the script is really currently being polished and fine-tuned right now. And the story of Red Lotus basically will chronicle um, my sort of, you know, uh, bigger-than-life story and uh, my life journey, basically, growing up in post-revolutionary uh, Maoist China. And it will also, you know, uh, in part uh, be about my sort of wild, you know, uh, hippie, halcyon, bohemian days, because I was very much counterculture, um, you know, as a countercultural uh, bohemian living in Venice Beach, where I, you know, had my boutique. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think it's going to be a very um, touching story. 
uh, to serve as um, an inspiration for many people because, you know, I want people to really, you know, uh, know and have some belief in themselves, you know, that, you know, I, I want my uh, own life to be an example that, okay, I believed in my dreams and I was able to really bring them to manifest reality. So if I can do it, you can do it also, you know, because, you know, the Sue Wong life story is, you know, ultimately one about hope, you know, and I think hope and hope to really accomplish one's dreams are very important, you know, even with the themes of power and greed and betrayal and, you know, um, money and glamour and all that, you know, sort of Shakespearean stuff, you know, um, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I survived it all. Not I think, I know I did because I wouldn't be without it. So um, anyway, you know, it, it's really um, been a life of really great challenges, but the whole thing is, you know, you don't really um, give in to, you know, life adversities. You figure out a way to really thrive, you know, and grow in spite of it and not become, you know, a victim in life. So, you know, that's basically what I want to share with, you know, um, my, uh, you know, um, fans and followers out there. Yeah. And with the creative energy that just flows from you and, and your home, I have no doubts that all of these things are going to be absolutely amazing. And I can't wait for the books to come out. I'm definitely going to get my hands on those. But well, thank you. Well, you know, um, the other exciting thing is that I'm going really straight into, uh, you know, uh, architecture and uh, Sue Wong designer signature homes because, you know, like I said, I've, you know, I, I love beautiful homes as much as I really love beautiful fashion and glamour and all of that. And whatever I do is going to be informed with the glamour anyway. So I just bought this really, you know, beautiful estate, um, probably, you know, just five minutes away from the Cedars. And I'm going to really, you know, transform it, you know, into this really uh, grand palazzo. So I can hardly wait to get started. And then eventually, you know, somebody is really t talking to me about, um, you know, a line of, uh, you know, beautiful Su Wong boutique hotels. So I'm, I'm doing that as well. So there, there's a lot on my plate. Yeah. Well, if the homes and hotels are anything like your designs, they're going to be absolutely beautiful. Um, well, you, you, you've seen you've seen photos of my homes, I'm sure, you know, um, the, the Cedars is very magical. It's, it's very old, glamorous uh, Hollywood and uh, European at the same time. And then my house in, um, you know, Malibu is completely contemporary and modernistic because I've been an avid art collector for 35 years or more. So uh, that that's also a different type of museum as a museum of modern art. And then I have a uh, spiritual sanctuary in the, you know, uh, rainforest of uh, East Maui. And they're all very, very different, but they're all beautiful and they're different aspects of who I am. That's so wild. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Sue, as we're uh, winding down here, I just want to establish for the listeners that your website, suwong.com, they can get to all your social medias that way, right? Uh, well, yes, I, I think it's listed, but you know, on Facebook and Instagram, I'm listed as Sue Wong Fashion. Okay, perfect. 
Well, I'm going to yes. put links in the description of the podcast, so the listeners just got to click, and off they go. It'll make it nice and easy for everybody. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me on your show, and, you know, um, it was a great honor. No, no, the honor was all mine. You're an amazing guest, and I really had a, a fun and interesting time listening to your story. Like this, Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's amazing. I can't wait for your biography, your autobiography. That's going to be great. Well, it's going to be very interesting, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived a vibrant life with very few regrets. Let's put it that way. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and thank you to all thank the you. listeners who tuned in to check this out and make sure you click on the next episode and keep this train of going i wouldn't do it if it wasn't for fans like you so thank you all very very much and we'll see you all next time oh now that was an awesome interview thanks so much for listening you all are so great and don't forget to head to facebook insta and twitter and follow the leo effects if you want to hear some comedy and ridiculous voices check out shattered dungeons on youtube and all other places podcasts can be heard you'll hear me voicing crazy characters, usually pretty terribly. So thank you so much. You all are the absolute best. And we will see you all on the next episode.